of Revelation chapter 2. Begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, we love you this morning, and we give you praise and glory. God, we acknowledge you. You are the inspirer and author of this word that we read today, and I pray that you would grant me the wisdom and the ability, Lord God, to communicate it truthfully, Father God, faithfully to what your heart intends for your church, specifically for us here, Lord God, at Faith Doma Fellowship. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that has called this place home, Lord God, that has made this the place where they will come and worship you and hear your word and grow as a body of believers. God, I pray this morning that you would give each of us the very ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church and us as individual parts of your body. We give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As I have been praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to share with your people? I realize that we are in a time of transition. Amen? And it's good. Transition is a good thing. Um, I don't know if you were there, if some of you were not there, and so it, it'll be worth repeating. But transition is, is a good thing, and change is a good thing. You know, we're going in the right direction. And as, as Pastor Dan Holland shared with us at our groundbreaking ceremony, even though change is a good thing, sometimes we don't like change. Some, so, sometimes we don't like change. You know, when you, when you got to change your diet, that's like one of the hardest things to change. Amen? Glory to God. You like eating what you like to eat, and then they, and the doctor tells you, you can't have your favorite food, right? My wife, I, I remember one day a couple of years ago, we were sitting down, and we, we you know, she she go to Costco, and they, she would usually get the... Um, you know, the shrimp with that, you know, the, the, um, that you dip in the sauce, shrimp cocktail. There you go. Whatever that is, man. Glory to God. <laughs> so anyway, she would get that. And, um, you know, we sit down, and while she's cooking, there's a little appetizer, right? And then, you know, suddenly I'm looking at my beautiful wife, and she begins to swell up, and her face starts blotching. And I'm like, what's going on here, you know? I'm, I'm like, this is, this, is, this, is, this is looking crazy. And she's like, I'm itching. And I'm like, babe, you all right? And she's... It's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And, and, and before you know it, you know, she's all red. It was, it was a crazy situation. You know, rushed her to the hospital. And then you know it's, you know it's serious because how many of y'all been to the emergency room? Raise your hand. And you know how long you sit in that waiting room, right? You go over there and you in pain, whatever you're going through, and you just sit there and wait. You know it's serious when they're like, okay, she needs to go in the back now. 
And they don't wait, so I was like, man, I'm about to, this is going to be the second time I'm almost going to lose my wife in a hospital. And so, you know, we get back there, you know, she gets a shot, everything, whatever, and so, you know, come to find out after a bunch of testing, she's allergic to shrimp, right? My wife loves shrimp. And she's always, like, with her EpiPen in hand saying, maybe I should try this shrimp right now just to see. Maybe I'm not allergic anymore. And I'm always like, babe, you need to stop because, you know, we don't need to be playing like that. And so, anyway, I use that as a, a, as a humorous illustration just to point out that none of us like change. My wife hates that. Every time, you know, she would go to a restaurant, you knew she was going to get something that had shrimp in it. That's what she liked. That's what she enjoyed. But when change happened, when inf new information came to her, she had to change the, the, what, what she was doing and not necessarily because she liked it. And so sometimes, you know, sometimes change is good. We welcome it. We want it. And other times it's not so much. And then sometimes, here, here's another sometimes, sometimes the change that we welcome, that we want, and is good, is sometimes still not comfortable. And, we, and, we, and, we, and we, we're like, man, I wanted that change, but you know how you prayed for that new job? Oh, glory to God. You got the new job, right? You're in there, everything is wonderful, and you're like, man, I know I prayed for this, right? And so anyway, looking at all of that, I realized that we are in this, this time of transition. And so I'm praying. I'm like, okay, God, you know, I, I preach messages before on transition. And I'm like, I, I don't feel like I want, I, I, want, I want to, you know, do my best to stick to the gospel. I know I can talk about the gospel and transition. That's what I want to do. But I, I was like, you know, for a long time, probably for years, I've been wanting to do a series dealing with the churches, the seven churches that, that Jesus communicates to in the book of Revelation. And I figured, what a better time to do that than right before we are transitioning into our next place for us to go through a little check. Amen. And for us to really look at what's going on with us and see where we're at as individuals and as a church. When you look at these churches in the book of Revelation, we're going to talk about seven churches. And we're not going to talk about all seven today. We'll talk about one a week and we'll deal with them as they come along and we'll learn the principles from them. But what you see in these churches is you see characteristics that have been found in every generation of the church since its inception on the day of Pentecost. In other words, what you see in these churches that we're going to look at, you are going to look and you'll see, man... There are churches that are like this. All seven of these churches, we will be able to communicate, and, and I'm not going to call by name, okay? Don't worry about that. I'm not going to say, this church is like this. This church, That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go ahead and be discerning and realize, wow, this is like this, and I see this over here. And we'll point out certain things that are there that are characteristics of the church. And it's important for us because when, 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 when um, the Apostle John is writing this and Jesus is communicating to him, he begins to tell him, he who has ears to hear in verse 7, look at verse 7 real quick. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice he makes it a plural. Normally when we deal with the church, we're talking about the church, the universal church. We are There is one church, and this is true. There is one true church. There is one body of Christ. And yet and still, God here, by his inspiration, acknowledges that there are different churches. There are different church bodies. And what he is saying to them is he's saying, I want you to know that these promises that we'll talk about are for all of the churches. And he says earlier in chapter 1 that these are to be read to all the churches. And so all of these churches need to hear this, but there are specific messages for each church, each individual church that is in a city. A little different than our church of the day. We got churches on every block. Not every city, right? Back in those days, the church of Ephesus, that was, you know, the city of Ephesus, that was the Ephesian church. You couldn't church hop. Unless you wanted to go to another city, and guess what? Those elders were all hooked up. Why, did, why are they coming over here? 
What, what, what are they bringing over here? Hello, somebody. They're, they're not, not like today. Everybody's worried about their little castle. Right? No kingdom mentality. Castle. And some folk got big castles. Some people have smaller castles. Hello. But they're only worried about that. So they, they don't communicate, right? And, and, and I, I can attest to this because, you know, we get busy, get caught up in all the things that we're doing, and we don't communicate with each other. And you got people that go from here to there and the next place. And it's just real easy just for a person to just go with all kind of issues and never deal with them. Go to seven, six, you know, whatever. How many churches they want to go to? Hello, somebody. Never deal with the issues. Never deal with anything. Just continue on living like they want to live. It wasn't like that back in the days, glory to God. There was a church in the city, and God is speaking to that church, and he's saying, in this, in this city, I want to communicate something. And what we find is when we look at these churches and we see the different characteristics that are there, and we see these, these, are, these, are, like, these are like those units of measurement that we can use. You know, you have inches, centimeters, and all of these different things, yards, and, 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 and this different stuff, different units of measurement. Well, when it comes to the church, we have to measure ourselves. We have to examine ourselves. And the way that we do that is through the Word of God. The Word of God is our unit of measurement, but we also realize that there are specific things that we can look at and what we'll do is we'll look at these churches and we'll look at them and we'll measure not just faith on because here's two things and this is what my goal is and I hope you do this there's two things that I want you to do while I preach these messages and one is I want you to look first and foremost at yourself I want you to look at you and I want you to internalize. I want you to scrutinize yourself through the word of God as it's coming forward and as you're reading these scriptures and you're hearing the exposition of the scripture, I'm hoping that you will internalize and say, man, let me check myself. Let me see how I am because I am part of the church. And then we collectively need to, as a body, be able to look at us as a whole. So the two things I want you to do is I want you to look at you as an individual, and I want you to look at your church. Not in a critical way, because look, man, we need to be real about where we are in order for us to get to where God wants us to go. It's not about being overly critical. It's just about being real. It's just about recognizing, where am I? How does this apply to me? And do me a favor, know this. It's going to touch everybody. This should touch everyone in some way, shape, or form. Don't just be looking, well, I'm good. They're like that. He's like that. She's like that. They like that. I'm all right. Bishop hasn't got to me yet. No. I think we all have a little bit of something, something like all of this stuff that we're going to look at. Amen? Mm-hmm. Something, something, right? <laughs> but we have to realize, churches, that Jesus is purifying us. Hear me. He is purifying for himself a bride. He is purifying himself a church. And the way that he's doing this is through the work of the cross, that glorious and wonderful work that he did, and the resurrection, and presently through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We dealt with in these last few weeks what Jesus did, what he accomplished on the cross, what he accomplished through his resurrection, who he is. Therefore, we understand that he is doing. It's a finished work already, and now it's kind of like he finished it, and he comes back to come and get you and say, Okay, now I'm going to walk you to this. So he's walking with us, purifying us, and calling us to a, to a place of consecration and separation to him that is going to bring him the glory and honor that he is worthy of. Amen. As true as this is, now here's the thing. As true as this is that Jesus is working on us, God is working on us throughout history. From the days of the children of Israel or the congregation of Israel, they're the, they're, they're the Old Testament church. Man, now listen to me now, man has proven to be unreliable, inconsistent, and ungrateful to God for his mercy and deliverance. 
The reason why these churches and we need to hear these messages is because we have a proven track record. We forget stuff. We be, we're grateful. Look, think about it with your children. Remember your child when, when you know when, when your when, when your child asked you they saw something that they wanted, right? They had there there was a toy. There was something that they just had to have. You remember that day? Those days come often for some of us. Amen. Glory to God. Right? Child is like, I need to have that, mommy. I need to have that. And you know what? You do whatever. Make the sacrifices. Make the effort. Get them what they want. They're so excited with it. And, you know, everything is great. They're kissing, hugging, loving on you. And a week later, they ain't even looking at that thing. And they're not kissing and hugging and loving on you like they were a week ago when you opened the gift or whatever it was. Why? That's our nature. That's how we are. And whether we want to admit this or not, we're the same way with Jesus. We are grateful. He saves us. He does a great and mighty work in us. And we're great. And then, and, you know, and, 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 and we talk, we talk, you know, we, we, we talk about worship. And, you know, look, I, I don't, you know, I, I look around now a little bit, you know, sometimes. And, and, and I, I don't really focus much on, on everybody. I see sometimes, you know, sometimes I open my eyes, someone's just staring. Like we came to watch a show. No, this is not a TV. You know, you, know how, you know how you yell at your television when you're watching baseball or football? You're like, what is wrong with you? Right? And they can't hear you? Oh, glory to God. We can hear you. Hallelujah. We can see. You know, when, when, I'm, when I'm laying there, like after church, right, I lay on the couch, and I'll be like this. I'm like watching my wife's like, babe, come lay in the bed. I'm like, no, I want to watch TV. And I, I want to chill in front of the TV. And she's like, babe, just come to the bed. You're going to sleep. I said, I know, but I like to sleep like that. Right? That's just, I don't know. You know, it's just... just so, so, the TV don't know that I'm that's watching me. That it, well, hold on a second now. This is not a TV screen, you know, high def, glory to God. 3D, right? This is the real deal. And sometimes, you know, we just, we stand there, and you know, sometimes I was just, just watching, just looking, okay, what are they going to do next? Hold on a second. What you going to do next? Right? Listen, worship for me is like, and when I talk about there, there, there is the part of lifestyle of worship. But when I get to connect my lifestyle with my song, man, there's nothing like that. Glory to God. When I, when, when, when I get to just come before God, listen, I can't wait till we have the full band and I can just stand right there. It won't be there anymore, but it'll be over there, but like right around that area. And I can just lift my hands and not, I, listen, I don't care about nothing. I just want to be able to do that in freedom because, man, there's nothing like that. But, 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 but you know how it is, you know, so we, 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 we get ungrateful. God answered that prayer. We come to church, boo-hoo, crying, glory to God. Jesus, you're amazing. Hallelujah. Oh. Mm. This is ugly praise. You know what I'm talking about? And then a couple of weeks later, you come to church, man. It's like pulling teeth. Like you came to the dentist. Like, mm-mm, mm-mm, Open your mouth. No, 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 no. I need some Novocaine or something. Listen to me. Listen. We are notorious. We are notorious for being ungrateful, unfaithful. This is a proven track record. And you know what's amazing is that at the same time that we are proven to be unfaithful, we are proven to be inconsistent, we are proven to be unreliable, God has proven to be reliable, proven to be consistent, and proven to be graceful with us in spite of us. 
And so we look at these scriptures and we look at what's in the word of God. And it's because we need to get a check, a hard check, and see what is really happening. Here's the, here's, here's the bottom line, church. The work of the cross and what Jesus did is a done deal. The church simply needs to walk in it. Here's what I mean by that. What Jesus did, completed work. He said it on the cross. It is finished. It's done. He already purchased our salvation. He already gave us every breakthrough that we need. He already did everything that he needed to do. Now, we got to walk in. Now, you know what happens when you really get that revelation? Listen, it ain't like pulling teeth. You, you, you're not even worried about what we're doing. It's about what you're doing. You know what I love? I, I love I love this. A, a, a couple, and you know, I don't know if I'll do this anytime soon, but, you know, a couple of years back, uh, you know, I decided, you know what, I don't want any musicians to do anything. I just want us to just have worship, right? People were like, just like, what are we doing? <laughs> worship. That's what we're doing. Glory to God. And I loved it. We, we, we were standing here, you know, the first, you know, and, and it's always like this. You know, the, the first week you do something new, everybody's excited about it. Even though they don't understand, like, oh, yeah, we get to do worship without the music. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? The first week, I think Jamie was here, and she, was, she, she wasn't part of the music ministry at that time. I think she was in the back, and she started singing a song, and the whole church just began to lift up worship. I was like, glory to God. Someone else came out. They started singing a song. The whole church began to lift up. I was like, man, I, I made a good decision, glory to God. It's going to bring us to another level of worship, right? The next week, hallelujah. <laughs> they thought I was joking. They were like, oh, Bishop just wanted to do that one week. He didn't want to keep. So the next week we came up in here, and I was like, oh, my Lord, what happened to the worshipers? Where, where, where are they at? Where, where's the song that comes out? And I know it's intimidating. I, I got that. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't pretend like, you know, it's not, you know, it's easy to just open your mouth and sing. You're not sure, can I sing? Am I going to be on key? I understand all that. I understand all the stuff you go through, especially, I mean, how do you think I felt? Jamie's over here. Look, look at Worship and Praise today. Jamie is over here, beautiful voice as it is, right? On top of the beautiful voice, she starts crying in the middle of worship right before I got to do a solo. You know how intimidating that is, glory to God? I'm like, Lord, I'm just going to worship you anyway. But here's the reality. I understand what intimidation is, but my worship is not for you. It's not for Jamie. It's for Jesus, right? And so what I'm saying is I worship because I'm grateful. I worship because of what he's done, and, and I'm not perfect at it because you know what happens? There's days, like Pastor Robert was saying, I wake up. Not that I don't want necessarily to go. Well, you know, there are some days I don't want to go to church. I'm forced to go to church because I'm the bishop. If I don't show up, someone's going to know something's wrong. Glory to God. But, um, you know, there's some days that I'm like, man, could I just sleep in the day? And then I get real mad at those who don't show up that day because I'm like, look at them, just in the flesh like that, glory to God. <laughs> but there's days that I get up, man, and, and I, you know, I don't want to get up and pray. You know why? Because I forget. I forget what Jesus did. And then there's those other spiritual days that I wake up. And I'm singing in my spirit. And just, I'm not even singing. It's just in my spirit, in my head, you know. There's no one like you. And I can't wait to get into my prayer closet on those days. Right? But the fact of the matter is we prove, we prove, and we show. Man, we, we're, we're inconsistent. We're like this. But the work of the cross is done. We need to walk in it. The first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is say this. Labor, Labor. is one of the marks of a vibrant <clears throat> church. And walk with Christ. Labor is one of the signs. It is one of the marks of a vibrant church and a walk with Christ. If you have a church that is not doing anything, have to question your vibrancy. If you are a person 
And I thank God because, you know, I see, you know, as, as you know, as I see recently, you know, more people making it to Wednesday night Bible study. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I see more people growing in their commitment to growing together. And that is, that is encouraging because that is the goal for us to grow. In the, and I understand some folks work. Some people can't make a sacrifice, whatever. Okay, I got all of that stuff. All I'm saying is whatever decision you're making, compare it to the cross. And then you can go ahead and say, am I right or wrong? That's what I'm going to tell you. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about the standard of anybody else because I know you'll come with 100 excuses. Well, Bishop, you're full-time in ministry. That's why you can make it to everything. No, I was making it to everything while I was working a full job and a husband. Yeah, all that glory to God. Amen. But it ain't about me. It's not about comparing yourself to me. It's about the sacrifice Jesus made, right? So here's the thing. We see people growing in this area, and so they're, you know, they're growing in that area. We see people that are desiring to serve and you know, reaching others. We're seeing these things happen. So a church that is doing something, we got some things going on. That's, that's a sign of a vibrant church, you know, a church that is growing according to what Jesus says, not what I'm saying. Jesus goes on and communicates, and look what he says when we begin reading in verse 1 so we can come back to the scriptures here. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now, notice I want to point out who the angel is. For those of you that may not understand, when he's speaking about the angel... He is not saying an angel like an angelic host or an angelic being. He is speaking of to, to the angel or to the messenger of the church, to the, to, to, to the key elder or overseer of the church. That's who he's speaking to. And he's saying to John, John, communicate this to him because he needs to communicate this to the rest of the body. He needs to walk in repentance before anybody else is going to. He goes on and says, these things says he... Who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Those seven stars we learn in the book of Revelation chapter 1 are the seven leaders of the church, the seven stars. And it's amazing because he points out, I hold them in my hand. I hold them in my hand. They're not, they're, they're not all by themselves. They're not all that because all the school they went to or whatever. I hold them in my hand. It also goes on to say that it's he who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Those seven golden lampstands in the book of Revelation chapter 1, we find are what? They are the seven churches symbolizing the seven churches because we as the church are supposed to be what? The light of the world. Amen. So he's communicating and he's saying, listen, I'm the one that's holding the leaders in his hand and I'm the one who's walking in the midst. And so it's awesome to know that whether you feel him, whether you see him or not, Jesus is walking in the midst of his true church. Amen. Verse two goes on to say, <clears throat> Jesus is communicating. He's saying, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And so you look at this church and you find a church, a church that is a serving, sacrificial, sanctified church. They are a serving church. He says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your perseverance. He's saying, look, I know your work. I know what you are doing. When you look, when you look at that word work, what that word work means is it, it is the word ergon in the Greek, and it means business, employment, that which anyone is occupied with. And so in general, what he's saying, I know your general commitment to service. I know, that you, I know what you're generally committed to. He goes on in the next word, and he says, I know your labor or your toil, and that is the word kopos in the Greek, and it means a beating, and it refers to fatigue. And so he's saying, I know your sacrifice. I know your works. I know your general commitment, and I see the sacrifices that you're making in order to serve me. I see that. 
I see that you're not just committed to work, but you're also committed. You're, you're, you know, you're working hard. You're pounding the pavement in the service of the Lord. You're doing what I'm calling you to do, and you're making an intense effort. And he goes on and he says, not only are you having this toil or, or this beating or this, you know, this thing that could cause fatigue, but also I know your perseverance or your patience. And that word in the Greek is the word hopomone, and it means steadfast constancy or endurance. In the New Testament, hear this, it means a character of a man or a woman who is not who, who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. And so in other words, what he's saying, he's saying, look, man, I see that you are you've gone through some hardship because now remember in our days in, in, in America. It's easy to serve Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? It's easy to serve Jesus. That's what we think. That's what, that's what we think. We think it's easy to serve Jesus. We make it seem like it's easy to serve Jesus. See, but there's other places people are toiling to serve Jesus. There's other places people have to persevere in order to really serve Jesus. People are being tried in order to serve Jesus. I think I showed you the video. If I didn't, I told you about it, about the young lady who's in a Muslim place, and she talks about their situation, right? I explained it to you, and this is real graphic, but the fact of the matter is you have these women that are over there. They're, they're, they're wanting to serve Jesus. These people that are, that, and, and, I, and I listen, I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody. I'm simply calling out the facts of this, uh, of this testimony, but the reality is this, you know, the, the, the extremist Muslim, Muslims that are there to make these people declare that they are not Christians, they will take these women and they don't just beat them up, they rape them. They totally violate them over and over repeatedly. Are you still a Christian? And you're crying because you got to come to church twice a week. But again, it's not about comparing yourself to her, compare yourself to Jesus, because even in that, Jesus went through more. Hear me now. But the fact of the matter is, in those days, they had to go through some stuff in order to be a Christian. They had to persevere through some things. And so Jesus says, he acknowledges, and he commends their work. He says, man, you guys have done this. He goes on to communicate to them, and he tells them about their hatred. They, they can't stand those who are evil. They're like, look, man, that person is living in sin. They're just like up in your face like, yo, you need to repent. You're not coming up in here in this church acting like that. You ain't, you, you know, you, you go, go to another city. This is how they, 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 these people were serious. Jesus acknowledges that. He says, man, you guys are hard workers. You guys are sacrificial. You guys are sanctified. You guys are set apart. He says, even to this, he, even to this, you hate those that are evil, and those who declare themselves to be apostles and are not, you tested them. So not only do they hate what is evil, but they also operate in discernment. They utilize what the scriptures teach, and that way they can discern, okay, is this person what they're saying? Is this person a true leader? Is this person qualified? Does this person live up to the standard? They, they did the test. People failed. Jesus is commending them for all of that. He said, you work for me. Continuing on, look, 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 look at, verse, at, at verse 3. He says, and you have persevered again, that word perseverance, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake. Now look. I want you to notice this is Jesus speaking. It's very important for us to get this. This is not me saying, hey, so-and-so is working for the Lord. No. This is Jesus saying, I know your heart. I know what's going on. I know why you're doing this. And everything you're doing is for my namesake. All sounds good so far, doesn't it? I know you're, you're doing this for my. You're not doing it for your name. You don't have a castle mentality, right? 
It's not all about the Ephesus church trying to be the what. No, it's, it's not about that. Everything that you are doing, you're doing it for my name's sake, and you've not become weary. In, or, in other words, most, most writers believe that this book was written toward the latter part of the first century, so around 90 A.D., right? So that's about what? It's about 60 years after the Apostle Paul established this church. So this is a, around a 60-year-old church. That's a long time. You've been, you've been to a church that's like 60 years old? You ever been to one of those churches? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you go to those churches and they look like they're dead, right? I'm just saying, I, you know, not every 60-year-old church is like that. But most of the time you go to a church that's like 60 years old, starting to lose vibrancy, leadership is getting older. If they're not wise, what happens is they forget, look, there's going to be a day. Right now I'm good to go. You know, and, and, and a lot of years from now, a lot of years, glory to God, a lot of years from now, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to have to recognize, okay, it's time for you to step back and let some younger leaders take over. Why? <laughs> Look, it's, it's just that way. It's just, it's just that way. People see things from a different perspective. They see the scripture according to the scriptures, but they see life. They're in a world. They, man, look, they're, they're, they're come, there comes a time that you just don't care about that stuff. Hear me now. This church, 60 years later, guess what? They maintain mission. They maintain all of those principles, right? They maintain all, they continue on to do all of these things. Jesus is telling you guys are doing a great job. Looking at the church of Ephesus was probably very impressive from an earthly perspective. Think about it. I was talking to Pastor Chad, he's not here, he's with one of his sons that are sick today. I was talking with Pastor Chad a while ago, and as we were talking, we were, we, were, we were discussing, you know, our discipleship process in the church, and we were talking about one vital part of our discipleship process. It's called our mentoring program. We have a mentoring program for our youth. We have a mentoring program for our, for our adults. And one of the things that we are very committed to here is that if you are going to serve in any capacity, it doesn't matter where you're going to serve, if you're going to serve in music ministry, if you're going to serve as a teacher, if you're going to serve as a, as a helper, if you're going to serve anywhere, you need to go through the mentoring program. That's the bottom line because that demonstrates your commitment to sound doctrine. It demonstrates your commitment to the church. And so if you desire, you aspire to serve in any area, you need to be committed and go through the mentoring program. But you know what, Pastor Chad and I understand clearly. Pastor Robert understand that. I didn't have the conversation with him. But the fact of the matter is, these things are all mechanical. They don't change your heart. So what I'm saying is, you can sit through a mentoring program for a year and never be saved. Hear me. We're going to preach the gospel to you in those programs. We are going to communicate to you how desperately you need God. We are going to make it abundant. Listen, we're going to get you out there to evangelize everything. We're going to do it all. And it does not guarantee that you're going to be saved. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that changes our hearts. They, they, these are things that we, we ask people to do because we realize what they do. And our hope is, this is our hope. Our hope is that when you come into the mentoring program, that you're already saved. Listen, that's our hope. And we don't just let any, you know, it's not like we just let anybody walk into the mentoring program off the street and just be like, hey, we're going to, usually if someone's going, you know, going to the mentoring program, they've been coming to church for a while, we see them bearing some level of fruit in their life. If they do come from another church, they come with a testimony of somebody else saying that, you know, they, they're a believer and stuff like that. But here's the thing. This, 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 is, this is the fact. The fact is that there are plenty of folks that they walk and they start to bear some fruit, or I'll just say it like this, they begin to sprout the leaves and it looks like fruit is coming. And then what happens? Things occur, life begins to choke out the life. Why? Because that's what the Bible says, not what I said. 
And so the reality is, when you look at the church of Ephesus, they were a church that had it going on. They were the church that everybody wanted to, in modern day terms, okay? They were the church that had all the right programs. They were the church that was on the cutting edge of stuff. They were the church that, look, they, they knew all the, all, all the programs. They had all the right programming. They were discipling. They were showing people, look, this is how you make disciples. They were doing it all. Jesus says it, not me. Jesus says it. He said, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your perseverance. I know all of these things. I know it all. You are not weary. You're continuing on in this. And he says, but I have this one thing against you. So the first thing, the first point was labor is one of the marks of a vibrant church and a walk with Christ. Now look at verse 4 here. He says this, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I'm going to read verse 6 just because I'm going to deal with this in two weeks. But verse 6 says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We won't deal with that. But again, Jesus goes from rebuking them, telling them, listen, I have this against you. When you look at that word against you, it means that he was opposed to them. Repeat this after me. Labor is no substitute for love. Neither is purity a substitute for passion. Labor is no substitute for love. Neither is purity a substitute for passion. No doubt the Ephesian church felt justified due to all of its externals. No doubt, church, they felt justified. In Faith Dome, I've been through the mentoring program. I come on Sundays early to prayer, glory to God. I come on Wednesdays to Bible study. I don't miss, if I'm a man, I don't miss the men's meetings. If I'm married, I come to covenant couples. If I'm a woman, I come to all the women's meetings. Again, I'm that Christian. I share the gospel every opportunity that I have. I got it going on. That is exactly how the Ephesian church felt. Listen, Jesus doesn't waste words. If they didn't feel like that, he wouldn't be telling them. If they didn't think they were okay, he wouldn't be communicating it. The same thing for us today. If we just were all right and everything was okay and everything was all good, why would God be communicating this to us? I prayed about this for weeks. How, what was I going to do to preach, you know, to, to move into, the, into this new place? Asking the Lord what, what to do. He gives me this. So what is it? He's communicating to them, and he's letting them know, listen, you guys, you, you, you think you got it going on, huh? You think you're okay because you did your checklist. Did your checklist. I did everything that I was taught to do. And Jesus says there's a problem. Is there, 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 there is an issue. He was opposed to them. When it says a pope, he was, he was in opposition to them. He had this against them to the degree, listen to what he tells them, to the degree that he threatens them to come and shut them down. Listen, have you ever heard something like that? I mean, that sounds crazy. God is saying, I am going to come shut down a church. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? That's like you saying you're going to come shoot one of your kids. It's crazy. I'm going to come, and I'm going to shut this church down. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you do not repent, 
If you do not turn away, if you don't turn away, if you don't go back to the first works, I'm going to shut you down. This is what he's communicating. Oh, you got everything else good. Works great. Listen, you guys are sound doctrinally. You guys know, listen, when someone, and, and you know what, and I, and I can say this about Faith Dome because <laughs> I know the church. One time, a couple of years ago, someone got up here on the pulpit. They were preaching, right? It was, it was in a youth conference, and y'all remember this if you were here. They were preaching, and they said, we're little gods. I was sitting back there where Martha is. Every, I think Pastor Rod was sitting around there in the back with me. Every head in this building that was from Faith Dome went like this. Like, hold on a second. You taught us different. Right? Another time, someone was talking on a Wednesday night. They were talking about finances. Same thing happened. Person started saying, you know, your money has no seed value, all this and that, and all this stuff. As soon as the person said that, I was sitting right back there where David is. Every head, I felt bad for the preacher because, you know, there was less people. Because, you know, Wednesday night there are less people in here. During the youth conference, it was pretty packed. So you really might not have noticed. But during this night, there was just, a, and everybody's head was like, Bishop, is that right? So what am I saying? Faith Dome. We know what to believe. Amen. We, we've been taught the scriptures. We, 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 listen, I say it like this. We pride ourselves. Hear me. We pride ourselves on the fact that we are doctrinally sound. Listen, when I talk to people, and ask, want, want to, listen, I want to make sure that we are a biblical church. I don't care who it offends. I don't care who doesn't like it. I don't care. We as leaders, we have determined in our heart, we want to make sure that what we do can be justified in the scriptures. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a great thing. We have a lot of different situations going on out there, especially when it comes to the church. There's a lot of different scenarios. There, there, you know, people that are not so concerned about doctrinal soundness, but the fact of the matter is we are concerned about that. We want to make sure that people live according to what the scriptures say, not according to the opinions of men. That's a wonderful thing. And Jesus agrees that's a wonderful thing. There's a problem when that is not motivated by love. Here is the issue. The issue is that we, 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 don't, we don't realize how easy it is for us to fool ourselves into believing that our works are all that matters. We don't realize how easy it is. I can have my checklist and I do everything. I can get up, pray. I can get up, read my Bible. I can do the evangel. I can do all of these things. And yet, if I'm lacking love, I'm lacking what is primarily important. That's the reason why our discipleship process starts with what? Loving God. Because if you don't start there, you can do everything else and still lack the one thing that is the most important. And you know what happens? If you don't love Jesus, when you're grown together, you get offended. Guess what? You want to walk away because you didn't love Jesus enough to forgive your brother or your sister. You know what happens? If you don't love Jesus and you begin to reach others, the first time that someone tells you, man, I don't want to hear that stuff, you get so sensitive, and I don't want to talk to anybody anymore because your love for Jesus doesn't keep you speaking about him. What about the area of serving? If you don't love Jesus, what happens is you'll start serving passionately. Everything is great. Everything is wonderful. And then before you know it, when things get difficult and ministry gets heavy, let me explain this to you. Everybody seems to think that ministry is just supposed to be fun. The devil is a liar. That's got to be the biggest lie that Satan has ever communicated to anybody. People get, listen, I've had people tell me, tell me themselves, man, this is like a job. Glory to God. That means you're starting to feel the burden. 
Because if you're just walking in the park, then you're not really serving. If you're just walking in the park, man, I got a question. Are you really serving? Because I'm telling you what, ever since I've been in ministry, it's been heavy. And you know what keeps you going? It's not because of the success of your serving. It's because of the success of your Savior. It's, it's not because, you. oh, man, I just got to keep. If that's the motivation, that's idolatry. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. If the motivation is the success in what I'm doing and not my Savior, I'm worshiping success, not the Savior. I know we don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. What is, because that's what Jesus was communicating to the church. He said, what is it that drives you to rebuke those evil people? What is it that drives you to test those false apostles? What is it that drives you to be sacrificial and all that? What, what, what's the motivation? That's the problem. Notice this. Jesus never, never, ne- and we'll see him do it later on. But in this church, he never condemns their works. He never condemns their service. He never says what you're doing is wrong. He is saying why you're doing it is missing. The motive behind what you're doing is missing. This is what he's communicating to them. Whenever you hear the message of repentance preached, no matter who was preaching it, Old Testament prophets, when they preach repentance, you know what they were saying? They were saying stuff like, man, you come near me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. It's Old Testament prophets. When you, look at the, when you look at John the Baptist, you look at Jesus, when they're preaching repentance, a true message of repentance is not about you doing right works. It's about you getting your heart right. It's about connecting your heart with what you're doing or understanding that the reason you're doing what you're doing is because your heart is connected to it. In other words, it's one of two. Either you need to repent because the works that you're doing Your heart is not connected. The good works. Or you need to understand the reason why you're living foul, you're living in sin, you're living unrighteously is because your heart is in that. It's one of the two. He's calling us to repent. This is what he's communicating to us. He's saying to the church here, listen, you've lost your first love. I said it before. I'll say it again. It is easier than we realize, easier than we realize for us to deceive ourselves. To believe that our works are all that matter. I want you to notice this, and you can write these scriptures down. John chapter 14 and verse 15. The book of John chapter 14 and verse 15. And the book of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. I want you to notice this. Jesus places the emphasis on love, not obedience. What do you mean, Bishop, we don't have to obey? That's not what I said. I said, Jesus placed the emphasis on love for him, not obedience. He says in John chapter 14 and verse 15, really clear. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you keep my commandments, you will love me. Oh, glory to God. He said, if you love me, this is primary. If you love me, commandments will be followed. He didn't say, but keep my commandments and you're going to love me. That that isn't what he said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 5 verse 3 says, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and they're not burdensome. You want to test if you really love Jesus? Is it hard to be a Christian? Is it hard to say no to sin? 
Because according to the scriptures here, this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. It's not burdensome. I'm not over here dying. Oh, my goodness. I can't go to the club. Oh, my goodness. I can't see that type of movie. Oh, my goodness. I can't talk that way. Oh, my goodness. And do you know Jesus? I want to tell you something. This is... God knows this is not me trying to toot my own horn because I have to repent even now because I feel like I backslid. When I first got saved, man, let me tell you something. You can, you can ask anybody who knew me back then. And it wasn't because I was trying to be religious. Man, for like the first two years of me being a Christian, I never went to a movie theater. I never, I barely watched TV. I don't know what was going on. They're, they're like now, this is horrible. Now, I'm like, when did that movie come out? Well, that was like 1995. I'm like, really? That, I, I was sanctified back then, glory to God. <laughs> Listen, what, what, what am I saying? What I'm saying is I didn't care. I didn't have any type of love for the world. No, I, didn't, I, I wasn't trying to be religious. I just wanted Jesus. That's it. I just wanted Jesus. And to not do that stuff, man, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was like, oh, my goodness. Man, I found so much pleasure in the presence. And I'm not trying to be overly religious, y'all. I'm simply trying to communicate a truth. And is that when you really know him and love him, to keep his commandments are not burdensome. That's what the scriptures teach, not what I say. The third thing that we'll repeat is this. Please say this. Jesus paid for our return to our first love in anticipation of our failure. Jesus paid for our return to our first love in anticipation of our failure. Jesus knows our track record, not yours, all of humanity. He knows our track record. He knows that we are going to be inconsistent. He knows that we are going to be unreliable. He knows that we are going to become ungrateful. And that is why he went to the cross. Amen? He paid the price for us to be able to return. Notice what he says at verse 5. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. The first thing Jesus says, and you may have heard me say this before, the first thing Jesus says is he says, remember. So the first challenge for us, remember. Think about where you are today. Think about where you are today. Think about your passion or lack thereof for his presence. When he talks about them losing their first love, there's two things that are, in, that, 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 that are in mind here. One of them is a love for God. The other one is a love for people. Think about, think about this for a moment. Think about where you are in your love for him. Remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember from where, because it says in verse 4, it says, I have this against you that you have left your first love. It didn't leave you. You left it. You walked away from it. Jesus is in the same place you left him. Did you hear me? All you have to do is repent, right? First thing he says, remember. Remember, therefore. Second thing he says, see, because if you don't remember, if you don't have something that brings you back and says, man, I've fallen. I was at a different place. I'm doing, I'm doing all the right stuff because here's the thing. I want you to get this. The church was doing all of the right religious stuff. They didn't stop doing that. They just stopped loving God the way they were supposed to. This is it. 
Automatically we think, I don't love God, that means I become a heathen. No, not necessarily. You can stop loving God and just become a religious Pharisee. Still keep the law because you know it's right, because you have a fear of God. I love the scripture that we read earlier because it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Listen, the fear of God is the beginning. It's not the end. We need to understand that. It starts us off, but as we continue to grow in him, what happens? Our love, our understanding of who he is begins to overwhelm our fear for him. It's the same way with a son who grows up in the house, and when he's smaller, he fears his dad because, you know, his dad will, you know, whoop him. And even when he gets, you know, a little bit bigger, he'll still whoop him. But then there comes a point in time, you know, where the son could probably whoop the dad. Maybe, in my case, probably not, but, you know, anyway. You know, my dad's a pretty tough dude, but, you know, and, and, and anyway, the fact of the matter is there comes a point that his son's like, man, I'm not afraid of you, but I love you. I'm not, I'm not going to disrespect you, not because I'm afraid you're going to smack me in the face. I'm not going to disrespect you because I love you, and I understand your love for me, right? Jesus is saying to them, the first thing we got to remember, if you don't have anything to remember, then that would mean you need to know Jesus. The second thing that he says is he says, repent. In other words, remember and turn back. Remember and turn back to where you came from. Turn back to that place, whatever it is. And then he goes on and he says, and I love this, because he said, and do the first works. So he says to remember, to repent, and to redo. Remember, repent, turn away from that heart. Acknowledge that you're not loving me like you should. That you're not, your motives are wrong. Acknowledge those things and then redo. Come back and do the first works. So what is Jesus saying to them? He's saying, look, your works are right. It's not that I want you to change your works. I want your motives to be right. Because in the beginning, you were doing it out of a heart of love. Now you're doing it mechanically. In the beginning, you were coming to church to worship because, man, you recognize what I did for you. Now it's Sunday. That's the day we go to church. Remember, repent, and redo. Jesus tells them to go back to the first works. Because when we are doing the works in love with him, we are working with him. And we have to realize something. Jesus wants to walk with us. He wants, while we're doing these works, he doesn't want to be a faraway thought. He wants to be an active participant. He wants to be part of Bible study. He wants to be part of prayer. He doesn't want you to just pray to him. He wants you to pray with him. Hear me. When you're doing it in love, it's relational. And that's what he wants. He wants our hearts to be overwhelmed by his love, remembering how good it was when we first tasted his goodness. Jesus never condemned their works, but the motivation of their works. And what happened is, because their motivation were wrong, their works were, were corrupted. The quality of their work was corrupted, and it also diminishes the quantity of their work. When your work is not motivated by love, what happens? Well, in God's eyes, it's not, it's, it's not even, it's worthless. He's saying, look, you need to repent of that. I'm going to shut you down. All your good works, shut down. That's what he's saying. He's saying, but the motives have to be right. Because if the motives are wrong, you corrupt it. And then what happens? When your motives aren't right, again, you don't continue to reach like you should. 
You don't continue to grow as you should. You don't continue to serve as you should. Therefore, the quantity of the work is going to be diminished because the quality of the work was corrupted. What is Jesus saying? And I'm getting ready to close now. Jesus is simply saying to them, look at the cross. Look at my finished work. Look back at why you came to me in the first place. Forget about what you think you've arrived. Forget about whatever is going on right now. Look back. Remember. Remember why. Remember why you were so excited to, to, to serve me. Remember those things. Look at the cross in my finished work and let it become the motive for all of your works. Let it become the motive for all of your labor. Let it become the motive for your patience and your hatred of evil and your hatred and testing of those imposters. Let it be that you turn back and say, God, man, I've fallen. I left my first love. I got caught up in the mechanics of what I had to do. And when I say mechanics of what I had to do, this doesn't just apply. Remember I said you need to look at yourself as an individual. This doesn't just apply to church stuff. This can apply to your life. Because you can go ahead and get a revelation. And listen, I want everybody to be good fathers. I want everybody to be good mothers. I want everybody to be great husbands and wives. I, I want you to be the best employees you can be. Praise the living God. Because all of that is scriptural. But you know what? You can get so caught up in being the best employee that you forget to be intimate with your Savior. You can get so caught up in being the best husband or the best wife or the best parent or the best child. You can get so caught up in that stuff that those things become idols in our lives. And because they are good things, we will not repent of them. Man, I'm being a good husband, and you justify yourself. Listen, this church had more right to be justified by all of the stuff they were doing than most of us that are sitting here today. This church, and Jesus calls them to repentance. It is the same thing for us. There is one that should be worshipped, and that's Jesus. There is one that should be focused upon, that's the Savior. There is one who we should be serving in every area, and that is Him. No matter what is going on, I continue to do what God has called me to do, whether it's be a parent, whether it's being a husband, whether it's being a wife, whether it's being a servant in an area of ministry, whatever it is, I continue to do that, not because of the results, but because of what Jesus did for me. That's what He's saying. Look back. Why'd you start? Go back to that place. Why did you begin to walk with me? Because you got a revelation of what I did on that cross. And so what's the goal for us throughout this whole series here? And by the way, the title of the series is The Focus of a Church That is Overcoming. The Focus of a Church That is Overcoming. And the title of today's message is The Church of Loveless Labor. The Church of Loveless Labor. They were working hard. They were wearing people out. Straight up. Jesus tells them in his closing remarks in verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In the Garden of Eden, there was this tree of life. They had a choice, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or eat, from the tree of, or, or, eat, or eat from the tree of life. They chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says they've become like us. They're going to eat of that tree and live forever. So they had to kick them out of the garden. They never saw that tree again. The tree's gone. You know where it is? It's in heaven. Jesus hung on a tree for you and I so that way we can eat of the tree of life in heaven. 
I don't understand how all that's going to work exactly, but I do know this. The book of Revelation tells us there's this tree. It bears 12 kinds of fruit in its season, and so there's fruit for every month. We get a new fruit every month in heaven. Glory to God. And it's eternal life that continues to make heaven glorious and more wonderful and more awesome and more amazing. But what he says is, for those who overcome, and the question is this, how do we overcome? Is it by our works? No. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. overcome by the blood of the lamb by what Jesus did because of what Jesus did we have a testimony that we live and lastly he says because they love not their life unto death you want to know why because they realize that their life is swallowed up in Jesus when you get that church you and I become overcomers amen so I'll stand to our feet and let us pray Father, today, Lord, we just submit ourselves unto you, acknowledging the wonder of who you are. God, we thank you so greatly. You are absolutely incredible, God. And Father, today, Lord, we acknowledge your word, and Lord, I hear you for me. Father, even as you have been speaking, Lord, I repent before you for every mechanical behavior be it in prayer, be it in study of your word, be it in memorization of scripture. Father God, be it in preaching, be it in worship. Heavenly Father, you know the areas where there are times, God, that I get mechanical and I'm not doing it out of a grateful and loving heart, God. Father, I ask you today, forgive me, but don't just forgive me, God. Bring me back to my first love, Lord, in every area. Father God, give me sensitivity to your spirit. Father, help me not to just be, Lord, a knowledgeable person in the scriptures. Help me not to be just one who recognizes heresy, God. Help me not to be just a person, Lord God, who knows when a false teacher is speaking or someone is proclaiming themselves to be something. But let my heart be moved with a love for you, Father God, that moves me to share with them. Father God, that looks at their eternal destination. And, and Lord God, that I would have a desire that they would know you, not only their error, God. Father, give us a heart as a church, my Lord. Father, that is in love with you above everything else. That our motivation for everything we do would be not because we got to meet a quota, not because we have to do a to-do list, but God, because we get to know you. Give God a hand of praise. He's awesome.